We are reading from 1 John 3, 11 through 18 this morning. 1 John 3, 11 through 18. It's a beautiful portion of Scripture. Hear now the Word of God. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The Word of God. A woman was surprised at church one day when another woman, who often snubbed her, went out of her way to give her a big hug before the service. She wondered what had initiated her change of heart. She got her answer at the end of the service when the pastor instructed everyone, your assignment for next week is the same as last week. I want you to go out there and love somebody you just can't stand. If loving others were only as easy as giving a hug to someone that you don't like, we all could excel in love. Just hug them and you're done, right? But love is a little bit more difficult than that. It requires continual effort because at the heart of loving others is putting the other person ahead of yourself. And that's always a huge battle, isn't it? For this reason, the New Testament as a whole and the Apostle John in this letter never tire of exhorting us to love one another. To dwell above with the saints I love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints I know, well, that's another story. Did you know that there are porcupines in the church? Porcupines. And it's hard to hug a porcupine, isn't it? You get hurt. I don't want to be a porcupine, do you? 
Are you sure? I'm getting a very tepid response up here. Um, During the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England, sentenced the soldier to be shot for his crimes. The execution was to take place at the ringing of the evening bell. However, the bell did not sound. The soldier's fiancée had climbed into the belfry and clung to the great clapper of the bell to prevent it from striking. When she was summoned by Cromwell to account for her actions, she wept as she showed her bruised and bleeding hands. Cromwell's heart was touched and said, Your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. Curfew shall not ring tonight. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Now, modern music has lots of weird songs and lots of weird lyrics and lots of weird dogma in it. But the song by Vanessa Williams and Brian McKnight that says, Love Breaks Your Heart, well, that's right on. If you love somebody else, it will break your heart heart. There's another one. Cat Stevens had an old song, the refrain of which was this, until I got hurt, I didn't know what love is. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, says C.S. Lewis, and your heart will certainly be wrung and probably be broken. If you want to make sure to keep it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe and the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. First, the mark of the world is hatred. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. John reflects Jesus' words in the upper room. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, this is the world that hates you. Because you're chosen out of the world, the world hates you. Do you realize that? You want to test that principle? Just go witness to somebody who's an unbeliever. Before long, they will show you their fangs. How is the world marked by hatred? Especially in the law of the nice unbelievers out there, right? There's some nice unbelievers out in the world, isn't there? I guess we need to define our terms. By the world, John means the unbelieving world, which is under Satan's dominion and is in opposition to God. But in particular, John here is targeting those who left the church and were providing, promoting false doctrines of Christ. When John speaks of love, he points to the supreme example of Jesus laying down his life for us. Beloved, love is sacrificial. It's self-sacrificing. It's a caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the person loved. Jesus sacrificed himself because he cared for us and committed to bring to us the highest good that ultimately we might share his glory. Since hatred is the opposite of love, we may define it as selfish, insensitive, that shows itself in disregarding others' good so that I may seek my own interests. The essence of hatred is the self-centered bent of fallen humanity. I'll help you if it helps me or if it's not too much of a hassle. But if it comes down to you or me, it's going to be me. I win. When we understand hatred as such, we can see that the whole unbelieving world is out for number one. Folks, they'll step over your body on the way to a cabbage patch doll. Your bleeding body for Tickle Me Elmo, for Rolling Stones tickets. You know what I'm saying? The world is motivated by self-interest. Self-sacrifice to the world is crazy. But you might be thinking, what about examples of genuine love on the behalf of unbelievers? We see that some places, right? People are good to their children if they're unbelievers a lot of times. Sometimes people will donate a kidney to a family member or soldiers will go into the war and lay down their lives for a comrade. Do these world experiences contradict John's words? 
No. Such examples may be explained by God's common grace. Jesus said that the Father causes the Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Love is one of God's good gifts that he has not withdrawn completely from unregenerate people. It should serve as a witness to point them to God, but they don't listen, nor do they look. Hatred is typified in Adam's firstborn, Cain. His hatred toward his brother typify the self-centered evil bent of fallen humanity. While our self-centeredness seldom goes to murder, the roots are there, says the Bible. Hebrews 11.4 says that Abel offered a better sacrifice by faith. Since faith is always a response to God's revelation, we must assume that God had revealed to Cain and Abel the proper kind of sacrifice he required. Abel did it. Cain didn't. Cain got jealous. Cain killed Abel. Envy was the root. Jealousy. People don't begin as neutral or basically good and then decide to reject God. No, people are born into this world in a state of spiritual death. They need a new birth in order to pass out of death into life. Cain was of the evil one. And the evil one, quote, was a murderer from the beginning. If we think that hatred or love finds its root in the human heart, we don't go deep enough. Hatred finds its source in the devil. That's where it originates, whereas love originates with God. This is not to blame the devil and absolve people for the responsibility of evil. No, we're all responsible for our actions. We cannot be like Flip Wilson and say, the devil made me do it, right? Hatred also shows itself, and you say, well, there's not that much hatred. Oh, yeah? Hatred shows itself in indifference. Indifference or avoidance of another person causing separation and distance in relationships. I don't really care about anybody else. I don't care about them. I don't care about you. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Right? And so, beloved, is there any place for that indifference in the church? I don't think so. Now, John's not saying that a murderer can't get saved. Why? 
Well, Paul was a murderer before he was saved. And David and Moses were murderers after they were saved. Think about that for a moment, right? But it's the test of a person's spiritual condition. The mark of the world is hatred, self-centeredness, the lookout for number one mentality, which, if unchecked, could result in murder. Now, the love of God naturally leads to the love of others. They're twins. If you don't have the love of others, question whether you have the love of God. You just say, oh, I love God, but I, I can't stand people. It's a running joke in the ministry that says this. Ministry would be great if it was, wasn't for the people. Of course, <laughs> that's not true, right? It's just things that ministers say at conferences that they never tell anybody else. The mark of the church is love. Hello? Amen. Children of God ought to proclaim and live like Christians. It's not enough to believe rightly. We must behave rightly. Amen? Being precedes doing, but all Christian doing must be based on being. Who you are in Christ should effervesce out of your heart. Remember that the gospel is the message, right? And that message is love. The love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for us and so we have that love. Everybody, everybody knows John 3.16, but does everybody know 1 John 3.16? Which says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What? You mean you're supposed to take a bullet for me? I'm supposed to take a bullet for you? Oh, pastor, I don't know about that. We had a judge in Lemonster, and you know, in, in the judge's bench, there's a little button. And if something bad happens in the courtroom, the judge hits the button, and all the court officers come running. So this judge... Something happened. He hit the button. There's an old guy. An old guy. He was off that bench so fast, you didn't even know what happened. It was like he disappeared, right? He wasn't going to take a bullet. He was gone. So that's not what we're saying here. Do you realize that our initial impulse as human beings is self-preservation? That's my initial impulse. But what the Lord Jesus Christ does is he changes you. Do you want to be changed? Let's pray for this one. No, I'm <laughs> Do you, I can walk now. And that's great. Self-preservation. The Lord's changing you from self-preservation to something else. You know what it is? Self-sacrifice. Sacrificial love 
And it plays itself out in so many ways. I could sit here and list them, right? It could be as simple as, you know what? Don't say that. Don't say that. It could be as simple as, you should say something. You see someone and you're like really blessed by what they're doing? Send them a note. Send them an email. Love somebody. Sacrifice your time, your effort. It's cold out. Oh, it's winter. Isn't it terrible? It's so slippery out there. What do you do? Oh, I'm just so comfortable here in the covers. I'll watch it on the live stream later. And you don't go to church. Why is going to church self-sacrificing and loving? Do you realize if there was one person here, that one person would be demoralized? Where's my brothers and sisters? Where are they? Why aren't they here? But when people come, we support each other and encourage one another in faith, right? And when you are not here, it's not like we don't miss you. And if you're not here for like three weeks, it's like we hope you're dead because if you're not, you could be going sideways. You see? Because we love you and love is loyal. And if you're disloyal, you're sticking the knife in our backs. Not just me, our backs. You see what I'm saying? Are you with me so far? Can I count on you? Can you count on me? What if I'm a schmuck, right? And I'm like, you know, well, whatever, I quit. See you later. That kind of thing. So the love in the church has to be sacrificial. And it's a battle, beloved, because self-preservation is where we all live. It's all about me. Did you know that? Just ask your wife or your husband. It's all about you, Dave. I was recording an album once with a guy, an engineer. And one thing I can do is pretty well, I think pretty might even know, is I, could, I, I can bark orders pretty well. I need to do that, 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 that. You know, it's like one of those, like, I can, it's kind of a list mind. I have a list mind. Administrative people have that. Like, you know, the Marges and the Daves of the world have this mind where you can, oh, I need this. And, you know, the, there's the engineer going like this, and he's doing all the while. <laughs> he's like, like an octopus. And he says, it's all about you, Dave. <laughs> it's all about you. <laughs> of course, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's all about him. Amen? And we ought to lay down our lives for each other. Now let me tell you, just say something. You know where churches start to die? When they become ingrown and selfish. Think about it. If someone from the outside walked in here and saw self-sacrificing love, they would say, there's something different there. I want to go there. I don't see anything like that anywhere else. Right? 
So what happens is when we become ingrown hairs, all of us, do you ever have an ingrown hair? It's really not a good thing. But if we become ingrown and we become, you know, self-centered, what do we do? We don't give. I won't give. What won't I give? I won't give you my time. I won't give you the time of day. I won't give you my money. I won't give you anything. I'll give you the leftovers. And that will be the way church goes. And what happens? Everybody just kind of fizzles out, fades out, and the whole thing just, just pikes. Every church has a personality. What personality does your church have? Does it have a personality of self-sacrificing, committed, loving people who love each other and are loyal to one another and would take a bullet for one another? I hope so. I really hope so. And if it doesn't, can it? Can it get there? You know, it's always a hassle to serve the church, isn't it? Oh, you don't believe the stuff I have to do. No kidding. I'm really busy. You're talking to me. <laughs> really busy. We're all busy. Even retirees are busy. I've been retired for 10 years and I'm going crazy right now. I'm so busy. Listen, everybody's busy. Everybody's sick. Everybody's got things. Everybody's got financial problems. Everybody's got everything. But we're talking about sacrifice. It hurts. But it hurts so good. Doesn't it? We as Americans, we're just so full of sugar. You know, we just had too much cotton candy was so affluent and some privation would be good for us. Some sacrifice, right? You know, the ga- there's too much gasoline in the engine. We need some air to burn hot. It's, it's, it's glutted. The engine's flooded. You know, And so, beloved, we need to have God flow through us. Maybe a story would help. This is a story told by the late, great Ray Steadman. Ray Steadman tells the story of a Jewish man named Art who was raised as an atheist. And early in life, he became a committed Marxist At the close of World War II, he was in Germany with the American army and saw gas chambers in concentration camps. It filled him with hatred toward the Germans and toward all of humanity. He raced back to Berkeley in California and went to college. He thought education was the answer, but he became disillusioned and realized that education wasn't the answer. His wife then became mentally ill. And he put her in an institution. 
And then he went to Greece and was wandering around in Greece, hitchhiking with a backpack and nothing else, losing his mind. No one wanted to pick up a seedy character like Art. He stood in the rain for hours one night, and everybody couldn't care less until a nice late model Cadillac stopped. And the man got out, shook his hand, brought him into this beautiful, clean, new Cadillac with leather seats and let him sit there with his dirty self and his dirty backpack and brought him to where he wanted to go, brought him to a hotel, like the Good Samaritan, set him up there. You know what happened ultimately? To make a long story short, the guy got saved. Art became a Christian. He couldn't believe that this guy would do this. If you just got a brand new car, right? Brand new Cadillac. Smells great. It's all leather. And there's a homeless bum on Parker Street. You're like, I can't stop and let that guy in my car. Right? I don't know what he's got. He could have bugs or something. I don't know. COVID or long COVID, triple COVID, whatever the COVID. I don't know what he's got. D.L. Moody was right. He said this, Show me a church where there's love, and I'll show you a church that is a power in the community. There was a little boy in Chicago, and he was going to Sunday school, and his parents moved to a different part of Chicago. But the little boy stayed at the same Sunday school and used to walk many miles, feet, yards, whatever it was, to get to the Sunday school he used to go to. And somebody asked him, why don't you just go to the new Sunday school with your parents? Why do you walk all the way back to the old one? And he said, because they love a fellow there. If, if only we did truly love others above ourselves in action, there would be fewer empty churches. In a smaller proportion of people who never darken a church door. Let genuine love replace forced duty in our church relations, and the world will soon be evangelized. The practice of the church should be love and action. If you think about it, right, we ask you, hey, would you take a bullet for me? You know what he says in this right after? He doesn't say, he doesn't say that. He says, he says you should lay it on your life. 
But then he says something very practical. Because you may never get to the point where you have to take a bullet for someone. But he says this. If someone should see someone and they need something and you got the world's goods and you say, oh, go, be well, have a great day. You're not loving. Now, I'm not saying we should be chumps and have people come in here that are drug addicts and, you know, uh, take advantage of us and abuse us. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that we have plenty of opportunity to be charitable to other people. And you'll have that opportunity to show that love before you will have to take a bullet for somebody. I think we play games in America, right? We see these guys like in the, on the islands, you know, asking for money or whatever, and they're homeless. And, and you know, it's questionable, right? It's kind of questionable. I think the safer course, though, is to give them money. I really do. I've gone back and forth with this. Oh, they're going to drink it. How do you know? Maybe they are. I don't know. Give them the money and pray, for, pray to God for them. You know what I mean? Don't let yourself out by, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be selfish because he might drink it. Maybe he's not a drinker. Maybe you're just stingy, looking for your out. So we're not supposed to love with words, just talk, right? A lot of folks talk a good game. Even in churches, we talk a good game. But it's supposed to be ergonomically effective. That our love has an effect upon the person we are loving. There isn't a group, a safe group called the Bystanders Club. We want to go into the bystanders. I like the Bystanders Club. I just watch from a distance, but I can't do that. I can't help anybody. Oh, goodness gracious. Never. It's not all about you. Remember this. Cain wasn't an atheist. He was a religious person. And he was a worshiper of God. And he was jealous. And he see the jealous. And he killed his brother. And the people that crucified Jesus weren't atheists. They were religious people. In fact, their theology was the closest to Jesus' theology. But they crucified the Lord. Paul Tripp tells of a birthday party one of the little girls in his kindergarten class was having. And the girl's mother had decorated the room and provided favors and so on. But one little kindergarten boy was jealous because the gifts and the main attention were not his. So he was on his way to making an obnoxious nuisance of himself in a near disaster of the party. Then one of the mothers walked down and put her eyeballs into his eyeballs and said, John, it's not about you. Amen? We could give you countless examples. But my time 
seems like it's slipping away. Remember what William Booth said? He sent a telegraph around the world to all his workers in the Salvation Army. This is when the Salvation Army was really evangelical. This is the word he sent. Others. Others. And shortly after that, a ship went under. And 130 Salvation Army workers went down with the ship because they gave their life vests to others. You can't save others by saving yourself. You can't. And so, my beloved, Mission of Grace Church needs a reboot. I say that with all the love in my heart, that we need a reboot. We just need a reboot. We need, really, to fight against self-preservation and self-centeredness and be self-sacrificing in our love toward others. Some of you have axes to grind with other people in this room. Fix it. Get it right. And I don't know, I don't have any axes to grind with anybody, but if you have an axe to grind with me, come see me. Come see me. Grind me. We could tell you story after story. But you must remember that you cannot hold somebody to a standard that you don't hold yourself to. We all show grace to ourselves. Right? We all understand it because we cut ourselves a break. But do we do the same with others? Do we show grace to them? Do we overlook offenses and things like that? Do we have axes to grind? Do we have secret things tucked away in our hearts? We shouldn't. And if we do, it's going to affect us. We're going to forfeit the blessing of God. Forfeit the blessing of God in your other relationships too. Your marriages, at home, work. This is a church. This is supposed to be marked by self-sacrificing love. May the Lord help us to remember that our lives are short and what we do for him now as a healthy body can have an impact long after we're home with the Lord.
Lead us, Lord, today to invest love in the lives of others. Only one life will soon be passed. Only the things done for Christ will last. Amen? Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we are here before you and we truly need a work of grace in our lives. We pray that you would do it. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to do the things that we are called to do. And Lord, we pray that you would heal our broken relationships in our broken hearts. That we wouldn't have chips on our shoulders and offenses and gossip in our mouths. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen.